heart, you know, that God, God holds the future. The Word said that God is, He said, I am the beginning and the end. You know, I had, you know, uh, heard a minister one time say that he was just, he was just talking to God and he, and just to reaffirm his own faith, he was telling God, Lord, you know the beginning and the end. And God told him, no, I am the beginning and the end. And so he said, my faith grew. He said, just um, hugely at that moment, you know. So God is good. And you can trust him. Let's pray. Father, as we get ready to open the word together for just a short time here, I pray that you help us to grasp the things that you are speaking to the church. All through Revelation, Jesus said, he he said, pay attention to the things the Spirit is saying to the churches. The Spirit is always saying things to the churches. Because you have your priorities, Father. And so, I pray that as we open this up and as I begin to speak, I pray, Father God, that you would help me to, to speak what it is that you desire for everyone to hear. And I believe strongly that, you know, it's not just those of us here who, who listen, but as the word goes out, you are, you do your part and you see to it that it goes more places than we can imagine. So I thank you, Father, and I praise you in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Becky. Very nice. How y'all doing today? Okay. Let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Haggai. Don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. Haggai, Haggai, you know, however you want to, in the Old Testament. And, you know, it can be a little difficult to find. I actually bookmarked it. I cheated, but you guys have got sheets, so you can. Um, But, um, you know, it's right there in the middle. You know, it can be difficult to find. We're in the middle of what we call the minor prophets, which um, we don't call them minor because they're inferior to, like, say, Isaiah or Jeremiah. It's just because they wrote less. And so we, we use that to kind of, if someone says the minor prophets, you know, okay, you're talking about all those little books, all those little prophets, you know, writings right there at the end of the Old Testament. And, you know, that's just an interesting fact to give you, to give you time to find the book if you're still looking for it. So if you're in Haggai, go ahead and look with me in chapter 2, starting at verse 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more. It is a little while, and I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. Notice that's capitalized. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. So this is God speaking to his people who had just returned from the exile. They're building the second temple. The first temple had been destroyed, and they're, they're rebuilding. the. And so he's giving them words of encouragement. But, you know, we're kind of sort of touching on the end times here. God is, he promises to shake the heavens and the earth and all nations as well. But he tells those working on the temple then, at that time, he's talking to them. 
But he tells them, this is not going to happen right now. He said, in a little while. Well now, to the Lord a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. So when God says a little while, you know, it may be hundreds of years for us. So he says, in a little while. And, you know, it's apparent here that he is talking about the latter days, the times we're living in, because he said, the nations will come to himself. All the, at that time, they, they, they did not. But he says, all the nations will come to myself. And he calls himself the desire of all nations. He said, I am the desire of all nations. You know, I like that. It, it reminds me of what, of what we call that God-shaped hole in every person's heart. In Ecclesiastes, it says God has put eternity into the heart of man. That's why men, you know, mankind is, is always um, trying to avoid death because... We were made to live forever, but because of sin, we do not. So this, it's, it's this unanswered question, this, this God-shaped void that only he can fill, and he is the desire. Even if people don't understand that's what they're desiring, he is what they desire, even those who shun him, you know. And uh, what's interesting here is that even though it says all nations will come to, to me, he, he's, not, he's not actually saying that all nations will be saved. Because you remember over in Acts 15, it said that God visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself. He said, these, these will be my people. He's going to take from them. And be, the reason is, is because it's an invitation. I am, I am extending an invitation through Jesus to anyone who will accept him. And if you do, then you've come to me, and now you are mine. You are a part of my kingdom, my nation. See, because it says he it, 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 it said in Acts that he will take from he came to visit, he visited the Gentiles. He visited the Jews first with the um, day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit fell. Well, now then he's talking about when that happened at Cornelius's house. If you want to go read Acts chapter ten, it's the amazing account of God's love, you know, that he would extend it to people beyond the Jews. And that's what they're talking about. When he visited the Gentiles to take for himself a, a people, you know. And uh, so then the Jews call us Gentiles. That's what they mean. You know, it's, it, anyone who is not of Jewish birth, Jewish descent is a Gentile. So that's probably all of us in here, you know. So then through Jesus, God has called a people for himself out of every nation, too. And so Jesus said, I have, you know, we're talking to the Jews, and he said, you're, you know, you're this flock, but he said, I also have others who are not this flock, and them too I must bring, and the two flocks will be one. That's, you know, very prophetic, what Jesus was saying. So then, the point we just want to get across here is that he's called us out of those nations into citizenship in his nation, in his kingdom. He doesn't ever really call his kingdom, a nation, is a kingdom. It's, it's him. He's, in, he's the king. And, you know, it can be confusing when you read in the Bible about God making proclamations against certain nations. Have you ever gone and you read through some, like, just opened up one of the Old Testament books and God's, like, make, turns and makes this proclamation against a nation and you're like, oh, wow, that sounds really bad, you know? And it's like, well, why? You know, why is he making this proclamation? I mean, he always has good reason. You have to, you, you know, to, to get the fullness of why he's doing that, you have to read through. Because a lot of times he explains himself, but <clears throat> and then other times he explains himself in other places. So you have to, you know, scripture interpret scripture. Um, but we need to understand that while believers may be in those nations that he makes a proclamation against, while they may be living there, 
he's not making the proclamation against them. Because, to God, people who belong to him, who are living there, are not part of that nation. They are part of his kingdom. You understand that? You know, you know the old saying, we are in the world, but not of the world. And here's an example along that line of thinking. You know, you remember in the book of Revelation, God makes a proclamation against Babylon, which hasn't been, wasn't specified exactly what that, whether it will be a city in the end times or a nation in the end times, but it's very wicked. And he makes a proclamation against it, and he says, come out of her, my people, because it's a time of judgment that's coming. So, you know, he says, come out of Babylon, my people. So there's believers living there, maybe praying for that nation, maybe winning people from that nation over into God's kingdom, you know, living among them, working among them, standing in the gap for them in prayer. But there comes a time when that nation of Babylon has refused to obey God long enough that he makes a proclamation against that nation, and at that point is when he warns his people, come out of her. That's for that nation in in Revelation. That doesn't necessarily happen everywhere. I mean, if an entire nation turns to to Christ, then God's got no, okay, now they're all mine, you know. I just want you to to better understand your position with God. Because if you've accepted Christ, you have a good position with God. You can approach him. Because, you know, and I I just mentioned that because I I didn't really bring us over here to talk about that. It's just something that catches my interest, you know. But what I want to do is direct your attention to that first statement God made in verse 6 here. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth. I believe he's talking about these times again, you know, and kind of already touched on why I think that, but... You know, for now, I want to zero in on the fact that the Lord is shaking the heavens. He's, he shakes the heavens and earth, the sea and everything in them. He, shake, he, he shakes the nations. But he starts, notice he started with, I will shake the heavens. Turn with me over to the New Testament now, to Ephesians chapter 1. How, how, how are you all doing with this so far? Are you okay? All right. Ephesians 1. And the reason I bring this up is, you know, what does God really mean when he says he's going to shake the heavens? What does that, what's like, what does that mean? You know. Um, so we're going to read a couple verses here about that for, in Ephesians 1, starting with verse 19. It says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power, God's power, toward us? So he extends his power toward us. That's interesting. That's kind of like, you gotta, you got to cooperate with him in order to take advantage of the power he's extended. It's, it's like it's towards you. You know, cooperate with it. So he, the, the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. The heavenly places. The NLT calls it the heavenly realms, or sometimes the heavenlies. And we can't fully understand it. It's unseen by us. You know, we can grasp the concept of heaven. And by the way, just to equip you for when you talk to skeptics from time to time, don't let them look down on you for believing in the things which are not seen. Actually, I want to, what I would encourage you is don't, 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 be swayed by feelings of inferiority 
when they try to make you feel like you don't know anything because you believe in the things that are not seen. Because really, it, it's, it's really just a, you know, it's, it's a, you know, as we say, you, you point a finger and you're pointing three right back at you. Because the people who subscribe to this secular humanistic view, okay, who, who want to make science their god, essentially, you know, with the, with the new theories in dark matter that they've got floating around, scientists have conclu- concluded that they can't see 90% of what makes up the universe. They can't even tell us what it's made of. So there you go. Science confirms God once again. You know, they say, oh, you, you know, you believe in this stuff that you can't see. It's like, well, so do you. If you believe what the scientists are saying, you know, because they, 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 can't, they can't even detect dark matter. They're trying to figure out how to do it. You know, I think it's interesting. You know, I mentioned it before, but in the book of Job, God asked Job the question, do you know where darkness resides? You know, and so now that they've come up with this, what they call dark matter. And they can't figure out where it resides. They can't see it. They, don't, they can't detect it. I think it's funny. See, that's why I say, you know, science confirms God. It always does. No matter how much they don't like that, it does, you know. Now, according to this verse, okay, after Jesus finished his earthly ministry and rose from the dead, God seated him at his right hand. Actually, the Greek implies that God fixed him into that position at his right hand. It's interesting. You know, in other words, not, not in the sense that Jesus can't leave, but it's more like he's established there forever. Nothing can change that. Okay, but, it, but God seated him there. It said, in heavenly places. And so you could say, in, in heavenly places is where God has his throne. You know, it's, it's where Jesus is seated. It's the place from which God rules the place from which he sets his plans into motion. It's where he holds counsel. It's where he's worshipped. And, you know, in, in teaching on the gifts of the Spirit class at Ramah, Brother Hagen commented that the gift of discerning of spirits is an operation when a person sees and hears in the spirit realm. What this verse calls the heavenly places. It's the same. same th- we mean the same thing. It's, you know, we use those terms interchangeably. And, you know, science would use a different name for it. You know, just, this is just my opinion now. I'm shifting into my opinion just for a second. Science would use a different name for it, but in effect, we're talking about the same thing, I believe. You know, they might, they might call it extra dimensions or dimensions that, and, uh, that we, can't, we can't see into. You know, we can't detect them. You know, we can only perceive up to, the, uh, up to the third dimension, and the fourth dimension is time. We can feel the effects of time, but we can't see, the t- see time. You know, again, God is the beginning and the end. You can't, you know, the Bible talks about how God is invisible. You know. And that's, again, just a personal belief. I'm, I'm just kind of infusing a bit of my personal belief in there. But why am I teaching it like this? We can all see, this is why. It's because we can all see the evidence that our nation is being shaken right now. Can we all agree on that? You know, I'm at, you know, I mean, the Bible likens that, you know, shaking it like, like a shaking a fig tree, you know, and the fruit all falls to the ground, you know, the rotten fruit falls to the ground. Okay. And it's not just the elections. It's all the stuff going on, all of it. And, you know, I don't need to go into all that because it's, I mean, we all, you know, we all been paying attention. We all know what's going on. And it doesn't matter whether you're a liberal or whether you're a conservative or a centrist or anything else. It doesn't matter we can all clearly see the upheaval. 
Are we in agreement? You know? But you understand that these things, in part, are, are just a physical symptom of what God is doing. God is shaking the nations. He said he would. Okay? Now, on the other hand, the negative stuff that we see going on is people's reaction to what God is shaking, to the shaking that God is doing, because it's a, it's a, um, it's a symptom of a spiritual cause. You know, when he's shaking it, he's not talking about physically shaking it, although the Bible does say that the earth is, it groans, it's groaning in wait for Jesus to return, you know. And then, you, you know, you have earthquakes in various places and things like that that Jesus alluded to. But, uh, you know, this, this, the reason I say it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a physical or a material response to a spiritual cause is because God first said, I will shake the heavens. That's a spiritual location. I will shake the heavens and the earth. And all the nations, you know, all the sea and everything in them, all the nations. Okay. And so, <clears throat> when we say that God is shaking the nations, you know, all the nations, you understand, right now, right now, are watching what is going on in the United States. Because, however this upheaval turns out, no matter how it turns out, it is going to affect the entire world. It, it is. It will. Keep in mind, God holds the future. As said, God, God has determined certain things are going to happen no matter what. And he said, that, he said that all of his plans toward us are good. People may do evil to us, but God's plans toward us are good. So keep that in mind, okay? But when we say, you know, we point out, it, is, it will affect the entire world, so we need to be praying. Praying. Pray and pray and pray. We can get weary in prayer, but pray. And we need to be telling people about Jesus. The Great Commission is why God didn't rapture us right when we accepted Jesus. You know, Jesus told us to occupy until he comes, until he occupy. And when we spend a, a we, you know, we, we've in the past spent a good deal of time talking about God's kingdom expanding in the earth a while back, you know, so we won't get into all that today. But if you weren't here for that or you want that teaching, um, we talk about that a lot in Victory of the Kingdom, Parts 1 and 2. Victory in the Kingdom, Parts 1 and 2. There's, there's some important truth in there for the church that they need to get a hold of. But now I'm going to shift into a sampling a little bit from some things that were brought up this last Wednesday night service. Because, I'll tell you why, because, and I don't normally do that, but the reason for this is because before that service, for several weeks leading up to that service, as I had been watching what's going on in the world stage, you know, scanning through news articles, praying, searching God's word, um, I noticed many different thoughts were coming up in my heart. And, uh, you know, one thing about God here and something else over here, and, you know, many of these thoughts seem disconnected. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like I couldn't really piece them together. It's like, I don't know, I don't see how all this fits together, you know. And so my heart began to become troubled. And, uh, you know, I'm going about life fine. I mean, you can still function, you know, your heart's troubled, but you can still go on, you know. And most people don't even know that your heart's troubled. But my heart was, was just troubled as I was going along, you know. And, 
And I just assumed that I was the only one. It's funny how we do that. I just assumed, I'm, you know, this must just be something I'm going through, you know. But then on Wednesday, we got to discussing spiritual things, which church is a good place to do that. You know, we're talking about spiritual things. And, and you know, as the discussion wore on, I realized that I wasn't the only one experiencing this because other people started sharing similar things, you know, because we're talking about many different things. You know, we were, I mean, our conversation was just kind of pinging all over the place, if you will. And uh, Tim said, he says, okay, let's refocus because we're getting off topic. And even he, it's funny, he even, he even told us, he said, the thoughts I want to share with you are disconnected. And that word rang, rang true because I'm like, that's exactly what I've been experiencing. You know, and, uh, but yeah, it's like, as soon as he said, we need to refocus, I'm like, huh, yeah, yeah. See, that's what is needed when our thoughts are disconnected. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about chaos. There's two, those are two different things. There's a difference between being disconnected and being in chaos. That's two different things. And, uh, you know, again, it's a, it's a spiritual matter. It was like I, my spirit's unsettled within me. And it's why? It's because God is shaking the heavens. How many of you here have ever made a, a soup in a crock pot? I do that all the time. You know, Tammy's like, why are you making soup again? I like soup. You know, but, it's, it's, it, but when you make that soup in a crock pot, you know, when you first put all the ingredients in there, they kind of float there together. They're all kind of floating about the same. I mean, unless you just have really heavy ingredients and they sink immediately. But most, for the most part, they all kind of float together, you know. But then as the heat increases, the heavier ingredients start to settle down at the bottom of the crock pot. So that if you open it and you look at it, you mostly just see liquid on the top, and it's like the smooth, glossy surface, right? It seems calm, peaceful. Well, then, as soon as you put a ladle in there and you start stirring things up, stuff starts doing what? Rising to the surface. It's being stirred up. Okay? And so, it's the same with our heart. You know, God told me one time during a time of prayer, he said, your heart is a repository. I looked up, I was like, okay, I think I know what you're saying. I had to look up the word repository. A repository is a place in which things are stored. You pick up things in your heart and they, and they kind of stick there. That's why we say be careful what you, what you watch, be careful what you're putting into your spirit, because it just kind of sits in there. Okay? So, you know... Um, when God, again, God said, I, I'm going to shake the heavens. That's the first thing he mentioned, okay? So I'm, I'm going to tie this all together now. Remember, we just read here in Ephesians 1 that Jesus is sitting in the heavenly places at God's side, at his right hand. Look over to chapter 2 in the same book, just one page over probably, at verse 6. It says, and raised us up together, God raised us up together, and made us sit together, where? In the heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. Now, this is present tense. He made, he made a, past tense, actually. He made us to sit together with Jesus in the heavenly places. Yes, I understand that you're still walking around on this earth, but God has made your spiritual position, okay? There's no distance in the spirit. He has made your spiritual position seated with Christ in heavenly places, this is why you can just you, you can approach him. This is why when you pray, he's, he's already there. Because your, your spiritual position is right there at his throne. That's a privilege as his child. 
So if my spiritual location then is seated with Jesus in heaven, it's no wonder that my spirit gets stirred up within me when God shakes the heavens. You understand? Okay. So, I mean, I don't fully understand it myself, but we can grasp the concept, you know. I didn't mean to sound harsh there. I wasn't, you know, yes, you are all very intelligent people. I acknowledge that. But see, it's just like that settled crockpot getting stirred up. Things rise to the surface, and it's like, this is troubling. You know, I mean, as soon as things rise, I mean, by nature, that, that is unsettling. Because all this unrest we see in the earth has this spiritual cause, the same spiritual cause. Think about in the book of Acts when the church was mostly in Jerusalem. There was a time that the, the church wasn't doing a whole lot of growth. It was just in Jerusalem. And then, well, then all of a sudden this persecution arises. God didn't cause the persecution. But again, the persecution came as a result of their preaching. They didn't like, well, we don't, we don't like this Jesus guy you're talking about. So they started persecuting the church. And the, the, the vast majority of the church dispersed out of Jerusalem and went out everywhere preaching the gospel. And the church just spread like wildfire. There, there, so as a result of that shaking, if you will, there was a great growth that came. That's why God is shaking the heavens and the earth. Not because he wants to cause turmoil. He doesn't want people to be settled in their ways, if you will. Because if we get settled in our ways and we get so comfortable with the way we're doing things, we don't want to listen when God says, I need you to get up and go do this. I mean, it happens to me all the time. I'm like, I'm at my, you know, I'm, I mean, uh, this thought occurred to me. It's like if I'm at the grocery store or wherever, I'm, and, I, and I'm about my own business, and God says, go over there and talk to this person, and I don't do it, then I'm not about my father's business. I'm only about mine. Jesus said, I, I, you know, I, I must be about my father's business. And so it's a sacrifice. But then this shaking, so, you know, this, this is why the nations are raging. Because they are. Because there are many in power who do not appreciate God and who don't want God. But the shaking will continue until Judgment Day for the sake of those who will come to Jesus, for their sake. Because there are people now who are not saved out there that will accept Jesus or are willing to accept Jesus. We could put it that way. And so this shaking then, you look at it that way, it's actually a mercy from God, but the shaking is uncomfortable to us still because we are unsettled, the church, I mean, we are unsettled by the negative reaction of mankind. So my main question for the day is how do we deal with being unsettled? How do, I, how do we deal with that? You know, If I'm unsettled in my heart, how do I deal with that? Let's see how the head of the church dealt with this, I, you know. I always remind myself, Jesus is the head of the church. Turn back a few books to the Gospel of John, if you would. John chapter 18. These are just some things that have been on my heart. And uh, I believe that it addresses some of the things that we're dealing with in the world right now. John 18. This is right after Jesus has been arrested. And he stood trial before the Sanhedrin. And he was mistreated there. 
And then they handed him over to the Romans, and he's standing trial before Pilate now here in John 18. And, you know, you think about this. He, he knows he's about to be crucified. Um, so then if you put yourself in Jesus' shoes, you'll know very quickly that this is an unsettling time in his life. You know, before this, Jesus made it clear in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was arrested, he, he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. My soul, even unto death. So, what does Jesus do about that? You know, because he does do something about it. What's he do? Here in verse John 18, look down at verse 33 with me. It says, Then Pilate entered the praetorium again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So in the face of this unsettling circumstance, and Jesus' spirit is already troubled within him, okay? In the face of this, Jesus refocused on his purpose. He said, for this cause I was born. This is why I am here. If your heart is unsettled within you, refocusing on your purpose will help you with that. And he's got, I got this going on, I got this going on, and this is troubling me, and this is troubling me. But why am I here? I will do what I am called to do. I will do what my purpose is. See, Jesus wasn't going to stop anything from letting him accomplish his purpose, including being unsettled in his heart. So, what is our purpose as the church? We talked about it many times, but let's get a refresher. Turn a few pages forward now to the, chap the first chapter of Acts. Just, just should be just a couple pages for you. The book of Acts. Hmm. And we're going to look down at verse 7. It says, And he, Jesus, said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. That's that certain things that God has decided. This is going to happen no matter what. Other things are not decided. There's details in between that, that he's like, pray about this. If you pray this way, this will come to pass or, or whatever. You know, if we don't do it, it won't. Some things are conditional. Some things are not. That's what Jesus is saying here. Or not what he's, but it's, it's, it's um, in, implied there. Now verse 8. He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He's telling us why we're here. We're not here to grow up from childhood into adulthood, celebrate holidays, go to school, get a job, or even just to buy a house and start a family. That's not why we're here. That's not our ultimate goal of being here. Nothing wrong with those things at all. And... 
but we understand by what Jesus is saying here that in God's eyes, those things are secondary. First, you're a witness. Seek first the kingdom of God. All these things will be added to you. That's the, the, the God will provide for those things if we seek him first and his purpose first. You know, and, and, and he may use those things to also fulfill the Great Commission through us. I mean, you know, think, think of Tim's story earlier. You know, this guy used the, the, what he has provided for his house. Tim's just, Tim and Barbara are buying some fries. And the guy next, God, God tells the guy next to him, buy their fries. Because he said, sometimes you just feel like you have to do that. Well, that's, what is that? That's his way, that's his way of articulating a, the spiritual truth that God was telling him, I want you to pay for this man's fries. Why? To bless him. But see, it, it, even though Tim and Barbara are already saved, you understand that to Tim, he took that as, Jesus loves me so much. So what is the guy doing in essence? He is being a witness of Jesus. He's letting Jesus shine out through him. So, Because you can be a witness to other believers too. Strengthening other believers' faith is not just about being a witness to the lost, although that is the primary. Okay, but then this, this, um, this idea that God has this man, God's blessed the man, apparently. He's got a job. He's providing for his household. But God tells him, take some of what I have given you to provide for your household and provide a little bit for this man's household. So then in that sense, even though his, his purpose for being in the earth is not to have a job just to provide for his family, God still uses that to work toward the Great Commission. Because that's an encouragement to Tim. And Tim's like, you know what? I'm going to do that for some people too. And so, you know, um, like I said, you know, nothing wrong with providing for the needs of your household, getting an education, all those things are good. But if those things take priority over being a witness for Jesus, we've lost sight of our purpose. Because now my purpose is to get the, get the six-figure income and get the fancy car and get the pool. And, I mean, some people are just like, wow, it would just be nice to put an addition on my house so I can... So I can have my, my aunt move in with me so that I can take care of her. You know, nothing wrong with that either. But what's the purpose? To be a witness of Jesus for the aunt. And, you know, many Christians have done this. Many believers have lost sight of why we are here. You know. And, and they're not bad people. You know. But what will happen then, if, they've lose, if they lose sight of that, what they will do is they will find themselves unsettled in their purpose. And if they do get unsettled, it will be like, what's going on? I've tried this, I've tried that, I've tried this, and nothing's working. Refocus. Why am I here? Amen? And, you know, I know we've talked about the Great Commission a lot recently. And, you know, it surprised myself by how much it's come up, you know, but I believe deeply that right now the Holy Spirit is speaking the same message in this season through many pulpits in America. I don't believe he's having us just talk about it here. Because for the last couple of years I have been praying fervently for the church and the lost. 
in that order that led to pray that way. Pray for, praying for the church. Lord, wake the church up. The church needs to wake up. The church needs to wake up. Pastors need to wake up. Leaders need to understand the times we're living in. What, you know, they need to understand how to speak to the lost. They need to understand. Wake them up. You know, it's just this constant. But, but then, and then, and then also pray for the lost, but the church first. But just this last week, in my heart during prayer, I've noticed a shift in priority. It seems like the Holy Spirit has nudged me more in the direction of praying for the lost first. Now, the church still needs to pray. For, I mean, the church still needs prayer. Don't get me wrong, because it's just a shift in priority. I don't think the church is fully ready for what God has planned. I believe she's more ready than she was before. Or I say she, the church, you know. <laughs> the bride of Christ. But I believe that what we, that we saw in the last season was God preparing the church. But then in this season, I believe that he is preparing the lost to hear what the church has to say. You know, in, in the, last, the very last part of Revelation, the very last, one of the, I mean, the very last statements that said is, is a call to the world, a call to the lost, and it says, the spirit says come, and the bride says come to the fountain of living waters. That's Jesus. That's the, that's the continual call. Come. Come to Jesus. Okay? Because it's the church that does that. The bride says come. And, uh, you know, I believe very strongly that God is, is going to have more and more pulpits preaching about the Great Commission. When I say pulpits, I don't just mean... Because, where, you know, where is, where's your call? Where's your pulpit, if you will? You know. But I believe that through the church, the, 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 the reminder of the Great Commission is going to come up more and more in more and more places. Because even though we have talked about it a lot here, and so I think that we all here have a good understanding of it, if God is having many churches proclaim it, that word is going to shine out and resound around the body of Christ as a whole. But I'm telling you, pray. Because prayer is half the battle. And it, gets, it, gets, it, it does, it gets, it gets wearisome to pray. But then, you know, I've mentioned before, there's times in prayer that I just, I mean, I'm praying and I'm praying and praying. If I can tell that I'm tired, I just lean back and I rest in God for a while. I just cease the prayer for a little while and I just lean on Him for a while. And then when I've rested, I start up again. Because it's not about, oh, I need to make sure that I get one, two hours of prayer every day. That's not, that's not what it's about. But as you, as you, it comes up in your heart throughout the day, Lord, you know. And so then the other half, though, is actually being a witness for Jesus in as many places as we can. And use discernment, you know. Jesus never went looking for a fight. He focused on the people that were willing to listen. <laughs> You know, um, and this is sort of connected to this. Someone recently asked me what I, what I believe the vision for this body is. What's the vision for this church? Nothing wrong with asking that. But I, I think that how most pastors answer that usually is by saying, well, we're going to be doing these programs, 
we want to get to where we're doing this, we want to get to where we have this building, where we're, you know, over here doing this or, or, or what have you. What they do then is they are, are, they are reiterating what they have envisioned, what they have envisioned. And God might give them assignments, that's true. But you understand that's just an assignment. If God says, start this program, you know, I want you to feed the hungry here, that's just an assignment. And the Great Commission is accomplished through it, but it itself is not, does not encompass the Great Commission. Okay, so, not, so, so like I said, nothing wrong with those things necessarily, with, with the building and this and that and whatever. But what I know is that, because I, I've, never, I've never, like it's ne- like January 1st, God has never said, okay, this is the plan outlined for the entire year. He's never done that. You know, it would be strange if he did that. I'd be like, well, really? Okay, hold on a second. Let me get a pen. Okay, but, but then what the Bible tells me as a teacher and a pastor that is that it is my job to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. As a saint, I, I also do the ministry alongside you because I'm also a saint. You know, now I don't mean I'm a saint. No. The Bible says that saved people are saints. That's just what the Bible's word for a saved person is. Okay, But when I say then that it's my job to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, there, that means for me there are five basic things that I believe we need to have for that vision. Because the, the work of the ministry is the Great Commission. Same thing. One, I want you to be full of God's word. Two, I want you to be full of God's spirit. Three, I want you to abstain from behavior that God says is sin. Four, I want you to stay teachable. And five, I want you to share your faith with Jesus. Or I want you to share the faith you have in Jesus with people. That's what's going to propel the church forward in the Great Commission. Not that we can't be organized about some things. But in general, that's, that's, prepared, that's putting us into a position where God will say, okay, now I want you to do this and this and this specifically. Amen? That's the vision for this church. Because if we're faithful in those things, even when it's difficult, we'll be walking with God and we'll be partnering with God in His plan. When we work to execute God's plan in the earth, we actually become a part of the shaking He is doing. I'm no longer just observing the shaking that's going on, that He's shaking the heavens and the earth. But I'm actually a part of the shaking. He's actually using me in part to, sh- to do the shaking. I, I don't want to be afraid of the shaking he's doing. and I don't want to just observe it. I want to be a part of it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, the great commission that you have given us, it's scary. And it can be daunting and intimidating, but we're all in it together. I can't do it by myself. No one in this body can do it by themselves, but together we can accomplish it. And so we acknowledge that that it is an honor. It is a great honor that you have given to us to do this. And though there may be suffering and persecution involved, we know you will be with us, and we ask for your help, Lord. I pray for blessings on everybody here, your blessing, that you you, um, would would constantly remind them of your presence, Lord, in this season. I pray, Lord, for opportunity to speak the word. 
Because the sooner we win more people, the sooner we will see a change. So I thank you, Father, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Well, that's all I have today. Um, I've still got 10 minutes. Are you okay if I talk to you just for a couple minutes about something I got in my heart? God has been uh, dealing with me about doing a, a series, not, not a Sunday morning, but a, you know, like a, like a video log, like a vlog. That's the word, vlog. It's a weird word. Anyway, um, I was thinking about doing uh, maybe, uh, maybe a fr- Friday night, just a 10 to 20 minute video for a few weeks just on, we're just going to open the Bible and we're going to read it. And if people have got questions, they can send them. We can address those. It's just 10 to 20 minutes. Um, and so it'll probably be a three-week thing. Probably not next, probably won't start this week, probably the next week, because we got Operation Christmas Child this week. But I'm just letting you know. So, live. I'll do it live. I'll do it like 6.30, you know, on Facebook. You can, you can tune in. And because knowing the Bible is so important nowadays, so, and there's many other reasons that I think it's important, and it's been on my heart. Okay, so that's just, that's all I had to say about that. I think, um, I think that's it. Is there anything that we need to know about, anything that we need to say? No? Yeah? yeah. Questions, concerns, hopes, dreams, aspirations, <laughs> praise reports? I know you all got them. <laughs> okay, love you guys, you're dismissed. You need prayer, I'm here.